the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. January 6, 2022. A couple of quotes, if you'll allow me off the top. First one, quote, I want to be very clear. I unequivocally condemn the violence that we saw. Violence and vandalism have absolutely no place in our country and no place in our movement. A second quote. I condemn political violence, as I always have, including violence that took place on January 6, 2021, any act or speech that impedes constructive debate on the important issues facing our nation is a waste. Quote number three, quote, anyone breaching the Capitol building should immediately stand down. We don't know who these people are. That will have to be determined. People came to protest peacefully, and that is their constitutional right. But we condemn and must condemn anyone who acts lawlessly, period. Close quote. Final one. Quote, January 6th was a dark day. Oh, penultimate one. I have one more. Quote, I condemn that buffoonish riot. Close quote. Who said these things? Well, I'll give them to you in order. Donald Trump, Andy Biggs, Mark Levin, Dennis Prager, and Victor Davis Hanson. I could fill this segment with the names of conservatives across the spectrum who said the like and similar things. So when you read columns like the most absurd and dumb column I've read in the Arizona Republic in a long time, published today by one of the purportedly smartest lawyers in Arizona, when you read their columns condemning Republicans who support January 6th or didn't or won't denounce it, do yourself a favor. Ask if they cite to any names or any names you've ever heard of. They don't. Because they can't. Because the big lie is not that some people believe the election had fraud in it. If that were a big lie, then Hillary Clinton, Jimmy Carter, and Nancy Pelosi would have taught the world how to get away with it. They carried that lie and promulgated it since November of 2016 until, well, the last time they were asked about it. The big lie is that the Republican Party or the conservative movement should be held responsible for one thousandth of one percent of misdirected Trump voters who engaged in an act far less damaging and frightening than Bill Ayers, Barack Obama's friend and supporter, than Puerto Rican terrorists who shot five members of Congress, whose sentences Jimmy Carter commuted, than the entirety of 2020 when civil riots shook this country, leading to 14,000 arrests, 30 deaths, and the resignations of police and police chiefs throughout our country, even as government buildings were firebombed and taken over while Democrats, whose names you do know, raised funds for those arrested. If you want to talk about just who is interested in subverting democracy here or our Republican form of government, Professor Victor Hansen, who will be with us later today, has a pretty good read of the situation. He writes, after all, who is trying to federalize election laws and national elections contrary to the Constitution? Who wishes to repeal or circumvent the Electoral College? Who wishes to destroy the more than 180-year-old Senate filibuster, the over 150-year-old nine-justice Supreme Court, and the more than 60-year-old 50-state union? Who is attacking the founding constitutional idea of two senators per state? 
who's changing the date of our founding? He continues to ask, who exactly is violating federal civil rights legislation? New York City's Department of Health and Mental Hygiene just decided to ration potentially life-saving new COVID-19 medicines in part on the basis of race in the name of equity. The agency also allegedly used racial preferences to determine who would be first tested for COVID-19. Yet such racial discrimination is in direct violation of various title clauses of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. In the summer of 2020, as mentioned, many local and state-mandated quarantines and bans on public assemblies were simply ignored with impunity if demonstrators were associated with Black Lives Matter or protesting against the police. Currently, the Biden administration is also flagrantly embracing the neo-Confederate idea of nullifying federal law. The Biden administration has allowed nearly two million foreign nationals to enter the United States illegally across the southern border in hopes they will soon be loyal constituents. The administration has not asked the illegal entrance either to be tested for or vaccinated against COVID-19. Yet all U.S. citizens in the military and employed by the federal government are threatened with dismissal if they fail to become vaccinated. Such selective exemption of law-breaking non-U.S. citizens but not millions of U.S. citizens is in conflict with the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. In the last five years, we have indeed seen many internal threats to democracy. Hillary Clinton hired a foreign national to concoct a dossier of dirt against her presidential opponent. She disguised her own role by projecting her efforts to use Russian sources onto Trump. She used her contacts in government and media to seed the dossier to create a national hysteria about Russian collusion. Clinton urged Biden not to accept the 2020 result if he lost and herself claimed Trump was not a legitimately elected president. But the big lie is that Donald Trump thinks there was fraud in the 2020 election. Ups to principus, folks. You may be slack-jawed to know or you are supposed to be slack-jawed to know that a Washington Post poll reveals that 58 percent of Republicans today say Biden was not legitimately elected. 58% of Republicans believe Biden was not legitimately elected. Whoa, Nelly! That's subversion and putting democracy at risk. Unless, unless, unless you are actually interested and somewhat curious and you look at the exactly same worded question by exactly the same outfit, the Washington Post, which revealed that at the end of the first year of Donald Trump's presidency, 67 percent of Democrats said Trump was not legitimately elected. Ten percent more Democrats thought Trump illegitimately elected than do Republicans think the same of Biden. You finding that fact fact in any story about the death of democracy based on the big lie, have you? Did you read any articles or columns or see any hand wringing over the fact that 67% of Democrats didn't think Donald Trump was legitimately elected. No, you did not. All right, I know there's numb, I know there's dumb, and I know there's partisan. The partisans who are not numb and dumb, like the writer in today's Arizona Republic, are merely putting their ideological and policy preferences in the context of the Reichstag, efforting group libel and slander and collective responsibility to write conservatives and Republicans writ large out of respectable political and social life. Some would call that a one-party state. 
All of this is the stuff of true fascism and Marxism. But of course, we're the ones subverting democracy. Who said protests had to be peaceful? People will do what people will do. These were the answers two years ago to riots two years ago from people with names like Cuomo and Pelosi. Those are their quotes. Who said protests had to be peaceful? People will do what people will do. Riots are just fine, if in the service of the left, not to us. We condemned 2020 and those riots, and we condemned January 6th. We invoked Lincoln and his Lyceum Address in 2020. Democrats told us to quit citing dead white males who were racists anyway. So now you give the devil the benefit of the law, William Roper said to Sir Thomas More. Sir Thomas More replied, yes, what would you do, cut a great road through the law to go after the devil? William Roper said, yes, I'd cut down every law in England to do that. Thomas More, oh, and when the last law was down and the devil turned round on you, where would you hide, Roper, the laws all being flat? This country is planted thick with laws from coast to coast, man's law, not God's. And if you cut them down and you're just the man to do it, do you really think you could stand upright in the winds that would then blow? Yes, I'd give the devil the benefit of the law for my own safety's sake, he said. The left cut down the laws in 2020 and before, of course, but actually justified it in 2020. And now wonder why everyone doesn't just stand upright in the winds that blow through the forests they denuded. The forests they denuded. They, not us, taught lawlessness. They, not us, taught taking the law into their own hands. They, not us, justified and fundraised for anarchy. They, not us, ran a national years-long campaign trying to establish the illegitimacy of the 2016 election. They, not us, thought Donald Trump more illegitimate than Joe Biden. They, not us, think end runs around the Constitution are just fine in the name of greater goods. They, not us, support avowed and proud socialists in their party and give them money over and against moderates. And they, not us, try to read a large swath of the American people into the swamps of Untermenschen because they just don't follow the progressive line. How do columnists and commentators get away with this? M-O-F-A. That's my motto. Make Orwell fiction again. For it turns out 1984 was not fiction when George Orwell wrote, quote, history has stopped. Nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right, close quote. You get these columnists and commentators by their use of the work of the tyrant and dictator, destruction of history and deployment of doublethink. George Orwell described the energy this way, quote, the alteration of the past is necessary for two reasons, one of which is subsidiary and, so to speak, precautionary. The subsidiary reason is that the party member, like the proletarian, tolerates present-day conditions partly because he has no standard of comparison. He must be cut off from the past. But by far the more important reason for the readjustment of the past is the need to safeguard the infallibility of the party. It is not merely that speeches, statistics, and records of every kind must be constantly brought up to date in order to show that the predictions of the party were in all cases right. 
it is also that no change in doctrine or in political alignment can ever be admitted. For to change one's mind or even one's policy is a confession of weakness, close quote. You know what we call or used to call people like that? Demagogues. Alexander Hamilton has been revivified in our culture. A Broadway play and movie invoking him and his life has swept entertainment, the culture, and our nation. Maybe all those fans of his, you know, the ones who wouldn't allow Mike Pence to enjoy the show by heckling him and his family out of the audience when they tried to attend, maybe all those fans should actually read a little bit of Alexander Hamilton. They could start with the easiest thing in the world to access, access, the first Federalist paper, the very first, number one. There they will find him writing this, quote, History will teach us that of those men who have overturned the liberties of republics, the greatest number have begun their career by paying an obsequious court to the people, commencing demagogues and ending tyrants, close quote beginning as demagogues and ending as tyrants. If tyranny is the end we see, keep listening and paying credibility to those who write and say what most have been publishing and saying about January 6th. The Orwellian thing is those on that course claim we are the ones who are the threat to democracy. I'm sorry, the case isn't close or closed for a shutter never been opened. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It is um, it's something I feel conflicted about talking about, the January 6th hysteria, because as I said yesterday, we, um, we typically try to downplay events that are seeking to become notorious – to rob them of their notoriety. That's what we typically try to do. It's why there are organizations dedicated to asking media personnel not to release the names or at least repeat the names of mass murderers. Um, it's, it's, it's part and parcel of why so many of us expressed shock that major news media would publish manifestos of anarchists and bombers like the Unabomber, giving it more play than it deserves and making them more famous than they should be, giving them what they want. So it's in that sense that I feel conflicted about addressing the nonsensical hysteria you're hearing from the likes of your elected leadership, particularly the president and vice president, comparing January 6th to days we knew would live in infamy. And as Kamala Harris said today, January 6th will now join the ranks of December 7th, 1941, November 22nd, 1963, and of course, September 11th, 2001. It's a bad history lesson. It's morally it's morally crude. It's morally crude to those that 
were involved in any of those things, and there are still World War II veterans among us. But it's interesting in this respect, too. Why is the 1954 attack on the U.S. Capitol not one of those dates or in those speeches? Five congressmen were actually shot in their place of business in 1954. Why is that not? How did we just skip over that? Ah, leftists. Leftists who Jimmy Carter's sentence, excuse me, whose whose sentences Jimmy Carter commuted when he was president. Leftists from Puerto Rico whose sentences Jimmy Carter commuted. They went back to Puerto Rico to a hero's welcome. Why is that not in there? Why is the 1971 bombing of the Capitol not in that litany of days that shall live in infamy from Joe Biden and Kamala Harris? Aha! Another leftist, Bill Ayers. He was responsible for that one. Remember that name? Barack Obama's friend. Never asked to denounce him. Man who threw a fundraising reception for Barack Obama. A man who sat on a board that paid Barack Obama. He never renounced Bill Ayers as a friend. Bill Ayers said we didn't do enough. That was his act of contrition. Why is that date? Not in the litany. How many of you that know that in 1983 there was an attack on the U.S. Capitol by five communists, American communists? Any of you know about that one? Or that Bill Clinton commuted their sentences when he was president? Do you know about that one? 1983? Go look it up. Go look it up. Now, on the 1971 bombing of the Capitol, well, before I get there, just notice what they all have in common, the ones that the vice president and the president ignored in their litany today of days that should live in infamy. Notice, notice the one thing they have in common, 1954, 1971, 1983. By the way, that 1983 one was done by communists who called themselves M-19. You know why? You know why they called them? Because that was the birthday of Malcolm X. March or May 19th, whatever it was. It was named. What did they all have in common? Oh, those were left wing bombs and bullets. Should not be part of our history. Should not be known. More damage. More wounds. More harm. It's not whataboutism. It shows you how the left and the Democratic Party and its leaders are distorting history for political purposes, which I think is shameless and shameful at the same time. You're in the midst of bad history, but you're also in the midst of those with a terribly bad moral compass. Demagoguery, it's called, as I said in my monologue. Begin a as a demagogue, commence demog- demagoguery, end in tyranny, Hamilton said.
Boy, that that song comes close to a question Bill asked me about music. Bill, my producer, asked me about music earlier. How did you construct it? That that song would have been the right answer at one time. But, but what, what what was? How did you phrase it, Bill? You had an interesting way of putting it. What is the percentage likelihood you have already heard your favorite song you'll ever hear? It's a great question. What is the percentage likelihood I've heard the best song I'll ever hear, the greatest song I'll ever hear? That would have been that song, uh, Thunder Island, Jay Ferguson, when I first heard it. For some reason, I loved everything about it. Lyrics, the story, the voice, that intro. I love that. I just love that, that, that staccato and all that stuff. Guitar, I love it, and the syncopation. Um, I think I think close to ninety percent, and it wouldn't be that song. It would be a, a song I heard after that that changed my mind. But it's been there since nineteen. First time I heard the song would have been nineteen eighty-seven, and it's the song "Southern Cross" by Crosby, Stills and Nash. Nothing I've heard since then has changed my mind. That there's a better song out there than that. So I'd say close to 90%. What's the answer for you? About 90 to 95, yeah. You've heard the best song you'll ever hear? I, yeah, I have to consider. Well, I'm middle-aged, yeah. so that wouldn't that put it I don't think you're 50, middle-aged, no, by the way. You're not. I'm considering every song that's ever been made up to this point yeah. versus what's yet to be made. Yeah. Okay, that's a good point. Yeah. There's not a lot. Yeah. So there's... However, you count the <laughs> days of the age of the earth. Yeah. <laughs> There's that number <laughs> versus what? Let's hope 50, 120 years in your life, the life of Moses. Sure. That's what they say. They wish in, – in, 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 in Judaism, they wish they, – they, a birthday wish is – do you know this? You're, you, you're, you're, you're supposed to wish someone that they live to 120, which is the days of Moses, the, the age – uh, of life, the number of years Moses lived. But it raises a really kind of interesting conundrum, doesn't it? What do, you, what do you wish someone on their 119th birthday? Yeah. Yeah. I hope you get one more yeah. year. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you die next year. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, we, c- we can explore that, of course, uh, if, if, we, if we need to <laughs> or if we want to more. Uh, yeah. Well, we didn't finish it. What is that song that you think is the best ever? For me, it, I'll say favorite since it's a matter of taste. And for me, it's Limelight by Rush. Limelight by Rush. You're welcome to use it or go out with it. And wh- why? Is it the lyrics? Yeah, it's it's the whole thing. And the lyrics really speak to me as well. Yeah. the lyrics, So if someone wants to get to know you better, read the lyrics of Limelight. Living in a fisheye lens, caught in the camera eye. I have no heart to lie. I can't pretend a stranger is a long-awaited friend. Neil Peart wrote those lyrics himself, being uncomfortable with you know the newfound fame mm-hmm. that he got in the band. Mm-hmm. Okay, all and right. Keep you know keep your personal life too. Okay, so if you want, that's a great way. Can you define someone by their favorite song? Is Ooh, is attendant good. to this? You raised this. This is your game. <laughs> I'm in the jackpot. Here. Okay, I think you can do the same with me in the Southern Cross, except I haven't been to Papa Ate yet. It's on my bucket list. All right. Um, uh, There was was another point I want – oh, yes. I will will move off of this in just a moment, Uh, the January 6th uh, hysteria and histrionics. I've heard it speculated that the reason that the Democrats are are using this 
to such a fairly well is because they have little else. They have little else going into an election year such that they can't really campaign on their policies. So they campaign on fear. I have a feeling, I really have a feeling, we'll see if I'm right, that as I said yesterday from Aesop's Fables, the mountains will have rumbled and produced a mouse. I think it's cotton candy. I think it's fool's gold. I think it will not last. It's really hard to get people energized over a lie. And the lie that's being told is theirs. There is more of a lie behind what they are saying than anything they construct or try to rewrite as the big lie. And I'll explain to you exactly what I mean when we come back. We'll be right back. There's your autobiography. There's your there's your biography. Limelight. Limelight and Southern Cross. That if we were uh if if we were in the era of CB radios, did you ever have any of that? Did you ever use one or have any of that growing up? You missed it a little bit by probably a decade. Do you, I saw it in movies. Yeah, you saw it in movies. You missed it probably by a decade. I had one. But that those would be our handles, I would think. This is Limelight coming at you seven. I got you there, Southern Cross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I wanted to make one other last point about um, Trump and Biden and all of this January 6th stuff. And it, it really goes to the inaugurations of both presidents and how they were handled. For That's what this was about, the peaceful transfer of power. Um. When Joe Biden was inaugurated earlier last year, in January of last year, the media reports were all about how soothing and unifying Joe Biden's speech was in comparison to that four years prior, the headlines about which were Trump's speech calling it angry, divisive, scorched earth. Those were the popular phrases describing Trump's inauguration. And uh, obviously comparing it to the soothing and upbeat speech of Joe Biden. Now, it is true if you go back and read Donald Trump's inauguration speech um, that he does use the phrase carnage. And that really moved a lot of people in the negative side of things. He put it this way. At the center of this movement is a crucial conviction that a nation exists to serve its citizens. Americans want great schools for their children, safe neighborhoods for their families and good jobs for themselves. These are just and reasonable demands of righteous people and a righteous public, but for too many of our citizens, a different reality exists. Mothers and children trapped in poverty in our inner cities, rusted out factories, scattered like tombstones across the landscape of our nation, an education system flush with cash, but which leaves our young and beautiful students deprived of knowledge, and the crime and the gangs and the drugs that have stolen too many lives and robbed our country of so much unrealized potential. The American carnage stops right here and stops right now. We are one nation and their pain is our pain. Their dreams are our dreams and their success will be our success. We share one heart, one home and one glorious destiny. Now I ask what the heck was so bad about that? And may I note, is that not a call to unity as well? Joe Biden got credit 
for mentioning unity was his desire, but didn't give us any example or evidence of what he was going to do. But when you say we are one nation and their pain is our pain and their dreams are our dreams, we share one home and one heart and one destiny. How is that less good than what Joe Biden said, which was history, faith and reason show the way to unity? Well, one understands the problems, the real problems facing America. That was Trump. And the other is just pablum, relevant to nothing. But there's another big difference. And this one is even more important between the two inaugurals. One actually was attended by massive violence and the other was not. The first one, Donald, excuse me, Donald Trump's inauguration actually witnessed an extremely violent set of riots and protests. You know, the inaugural, the media did not warn would have a violent reaction because Democrats are peaceful. The inaugural, the entire media said, would be attended by violence, requiring a military division and lockdowns because Republican opposition would be violent. Biden's inauguration had none. No violence. In fact, it was not sufficient for the media to presage violence against the Biden administration in just D.C. The stories were that there would be violence at state houses around the country and there were shutdowns on that day, too, throughout the country. And guess what? There was no such violence. None. Just to remind anyone who thinks I'm making this up, here's Reuters. Reuters from the day of Donald Trump's inauguration. Quote, black clad activists among hundreds of demonstrators protesting Donald Trump's swearing in on Friday clashed with police a few blocks from the White House in an outburst of violence rare for an inauguration. 217 people were arrested. In the violence, knots of activists in black clothes and masks threw rocks and bottles at officers wearing riot gear who responded with volleys of tear gas and stun grenades as a helicopter hovered low overhead. At one flashpoint, a protester hurled an object through the passenger window of a police van, which sped away in reverse as demonstrators cheered. Earlier, activists used chunks of pavement and baseball bats to shatter the windows of a Bank of America branch and a McDonald's outlet, outlet, all symbols of American capitalism. Six police officers were sent to the hospital. That was Trump's inauguration. That was Trump's inauguration. How much you know about that? And is that day one that will live in infamy? The Biden inauguration? Nothing. Zip. A sea of tranquility. Now, some might say, well, yes, that's what happens when you deploy 25,000 troops to ensure peace. Really? Google that one. And when you do insert the phrase no credible threat and Biden inauguration, and you will see story after story from D.C. to Los Angeles, from West Virginia to Wisconsin, that the FBI and Homeland Security offices had no credible threats of violence against the Biden inauguration. But CNN and MSNBC and The Washington Post and The New York Times didn't report any of that. They wanted a specter and fear of violence to surround the Biden inauguration to portray the right or Republicans as violent and disruptive. It was the Trump inauguration that saw the violence and the disruption.
trying to overthrow the peaceful transfer of power. There was none of that for the Biden administration and inauguration. None of it. Myths. That's what we operate under. We're violent. They are not. We require lectures on unity. They do not. Their speeches are full of dulcet peace. Ours are fire and brimstone, scorched earth. They're American. We are not. So, yeah, while Donald Trump in his quote-unquote scorched earth inaugural speech did speak of crime and drug abuse and unemployment and then about how that was not any American's dream and Biden's tranquil, uniting, refreshing speech spoke of growing inequity and the cry for racial justice. Okay. Okay. Just understand, one person tried to tackle problems and say that their problems were all Americans' problems, and that wasn't unity. And this administration is trying to divide us, not just by race, but by political belief, all the while distorting history. And yet the cry from the teachers' unions and every leftist involved in the work of pedagogy says it's the right and conservatives who are afraid of real history. No, we ain't. It's exactly what we want. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Victor Davis Hansen coming up on deck at the top of the next hour. A lot of you um a lot of you wrote in when I was asking the question who would be on your list of, you know, something like five writers, thinkers, analysts who when they write you must read or you feel like you must read, you think you must read to be smart, you're interested in what they have to say above and beyond others. A lot of you wrote in to say Victor Hansen should be on that list and yes, um yes of course he should be. He is uh, a highly, highly, highly important and gifted uh, historian, scholar, and analyst. The only thing I would say is I would also ask that you please, please read his books as well as his columns. If you think his columns are good, his books are even better, even better. I um, (laughs) am reminded of the of the Daniel Patrick Moynihan um, memo to Richard Nixon. Daniel Moynihan was a Democrat, but kind of a – the kind of Democrat you don't see anymore, uh, the kind of Democrat Joe Lieberman represented, the kind of Democrat some people think Joe Manchin is a bit like. But you know, the Democrat that didn't put up with nonsense, the Democrat that didn't embrace socialism, Marxism, progressivism, the kind of Democrat that knew the – difference between chicken salad and, well, anyway, the kind of Democrat you wish there was still. Daniel Moynihan, so that kind of Democrat, worked for Richard Nixon in his domestic policy shop. And he wrote a memo to Richard Nixon. um, And he said, um, the top of the memo read, I don't have time to write you a short memo, so I'm writing you a long one. Um, So when you read Victor Hansen, I beg of you, Yes, of course, read his columns. 
just as and perhaps more importantly, read his books as well. And then uh, just another note, uh, in the third hour, we're going to discuss – we're going to interview – we're going to talk with uh, Eleanor McCants Katz. You've heard me talk of her um, a bunch lately. She was the Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services in the previous administration. She has a PhD in immunology and an MD in psychiatry. And uh, she was warning in uh, April and May of 2020 what the effects on children would be if we continued with the kinds of things we're continuing to do to children. And now people are being paid a little more attention to for saying the exact same things because they're, I guess, Democrats. The Surgeon General, for example, the current Surgeon General, for example, is getting credit for talking about the mental health crisis of kids. Well, Eleanor McCants Katz was talking about it two years ago, and when she was, she was censored. Just so you understand the world of 1984 that we live in, all that was needed was an unending series of victories over your own memory. Orwell wrote, reality control, they called it. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 